we have a special guest from Boca Raton, Florida. Florida. As he, as we all know, as he Finkel, who does a lot of good for our group, and he does good referrals and really cares about our kips. He referred me and us to Faith, and Faith is a, a very high caliber therapist who does a lot of great work with a lot of kips. She has a great name for herself that. So much so that as he wanted her to come to Brooklyn, and she's doing a program now here where she'll be here in Brooklyn for one week a month. She'll come for one week, leave for three weeks, where she can continue giving homework and FaceTiming, and then coming back a week a month for three months to see how it goes, like a pilot program. And so far, the people that I know, that I've spoken to, who have had sessions with her, were really, really happy. And that's and these are not easy cases. So... Um, I'm happy that you came to, to join us tonight. And I'd like to know if you want to say a few words, if you want to, uh, any response to what you've seen here tonight and how you feel about this whole subject, and then maybe if we have any questions, we can ask her. Okay, yeah. Um, no, I'm just, re- I'm over the moon grateful to be here. And I was thinking while everyone was talking and all this stuff, I have so many clients who their belief is my parents are never going to change. They're so from... And they're so not okay with me. They're never going to change. And we talk a lot about it. I work with these these clients about like, okay, well, regardless of if your parents are going to accept you, like, let's figure out how you can be yourself and you can accept you and you can still be your be what is right for you and, and how to forego the, the their parents accepting them. So when I hear this and hear parents being this like nurturing, loving, accepting, regardless of what's going on with you, we're going to be here for you. I'm like, oh, it's a relief. It's going to make my job easier. <laughs> so um, I'm trained as an LMHC and an LMFT. I'm also a CSAT therapist, which is a certified sex addiction therapist. I work in addictions, including substance, um, as well as process addictions. So sex, gambling, shopping, video gaming, the whole lot. Um, and so to have with that, I look at the family system. When I see a client, uh, the first thing I'm asking is about their family and what was their experience of themselves and their family? And did they feel valued, loved, accepted, wanted, you know, these core beliefs about themselves based off of what happened in the family? And most of my clients, I mean, don't have that. They feel, I, no, I feel like I was bad and wrong. I could never do anything right. I, I wanted so badly to be loved. Like all these like core beliefs that there was something wrong with them. And then they act in ways that reinforce that like, oh, there's something wrong with me. And, and the cycle continues. And uh, to try to escape that pain, they use all these addictive disorders. So when I hear a group of family members willing to change um, and courageous enough to come, it's it. I, I can't express how much gratitude I have for you guys in, in doing this um, because you have so much power in creating like this nurturing, loving environment that could actually fundamentally change how somebody feels about themselves. So the way I personally I practice therapy is like my therapeutic relationship with my client has the power to change this client's core beliefs about themselves. So if I treat this client in a way that they never expected to be treated around the things that they are most fearful, shameful, or pained about, then they, they're they going to learn something different about themselves and it's going to reparent or re-nurture them in a way that they will, will heal some of the stuff that they're trying to run away from. Um, so to have the families backing that and doing that is really, really amazing. Um, Tell us about the relationship between the kids who are not religious, doing drugs, 
and who have suffered from childhood trauma. Yes. Um, so when we're talking about child, when I think of childhood trauma or what I call family of origin trauma, there's another term for it called relational trauma. It's like when I'm a kid, if I look at my outside family life and something about my outside family life feels like I might not be safe as a kid, I need to be safe in order to survive because I'm dependent on my family to meet all of my needs. If, if I leave a baby in a room alone for a few days, it will die. It's completely dependent on its parents. When I'm, you know, as I start to grow up, I'm six, seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, around these ages. I look at my parents. If something's not safe, I don't go like, gosh, my parents really aren't doing something right to take care of me. I go, oh, God, I might not be safe. What's wrong with me? What do I need to do differently in order to be okay? And they start to adapt. So the idea that I'm not safe to be able to relate to my parents in some way, that and that means there's something wrong with me, is traumatic to the way that we form relationships. Um, and so that is a very covert form of childhood trauma that we don't talk about a lot. So there's three different ways when we talk about like traumatic relationships, there's three different ways it shows up. But the easiest way to say it is, is a less than nurturing environment. So when, if I'm experiencing a less than nurturing environment as a kid, I'm probably going to have some form of like relational trauma or feeling unsafe, feeling unwanted, feeling guarded about the world, not sure about my place, my self-esteem. I don't, I might not know that I'm valuable or that I'm worthy. I might have a hard time with boundaries. I might not be spontaneous and open. I might be really rigid or I might have, I might just be completely all over the place. So, um, there's all these different things that can kind of show up from that, from having this less than nurturing environment. And so with that, when I have, if I have that experience, I'm already in that place and then I experience a trauma. And so there's two types of trauma. There's big T trauma, which are like the major events. So abuse, molestation, um, car accidents, loss of a family home, like these very major impactful defining events. It's big T trauma. I could have that. Or I could have little T trauma, um, which is, I mean, I think at this point, bullying in schools has become a big T trauma. But, um, but like name-calling little nitpicky things. Um Feeling like my shoes aren't as nice as the kid next to me. Like, for a kid, that's kind of traumatic. There's something unacceptable about me as a human because kids, unfortunately, compare each other to each other. Um, little T trauma can also just, it's the, it's the little minutia of life that kind of adds up to this point where it's like, I can't cope with life on life's terms. I can't cope with the emotional experience I'm having. <coughs> when a kid experiences trauma, they go into anybody, not just a kid, adults too. If they experience trauma, their brain goes into overwhelm to try and cope with the trauma. What it does is your emotions get so flooded. You thought you were safe. Something happens. I'm no longer safe, and I, I'm experiencing an overwhelm of emotions. The brain doesn't know how to cope with it. So it goes into this way of like shutting down to cope with the overwhelm of the experience or the shock that is happening. So... Um, with that, the, our logic and reason shuts down and we go into survival mode. And it's either fight, flight, or freeze. I'm either going to figure out a way out, I'm going to fight my way out, or I'm going to stay as still as possible till it's all over. When a kid has trauma, what will then happen if it's, not, if it's un, left untreated is they're going to start to have symptoms of the trauma. And symptoms of trauma are, are what we classically look at as like PTSD. 
might have invasive thoughts. I might have nightmares. I might have mood dysregulation for what seems like no reason. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna want to numb the pain, fear, and shame that I'm having because if for somebody who's having PTSD, if they're, if they t- can't identify that it's trauma, and then they can't identify that it's PTSD, it must just be that I'm bad and I'm not capable of getting up in the morning or I can't sleep at night or I'm not focusing on my homework or I look ADHD. So I go to a psychiatrist and I get diagnosed and I, and what, what I find out then is there's something wrong with me and I'm marginalized even more and I'm not like these other people, which then becomes traumatic. Because I'm not connecting in a way that I'm safe and nurtured. And the cycle, it, we, we see this. I mean, that's what I see with most of my clients. There's, It's not just that one major thing happened and they end up in my office. It's been this complex trauma of layers of events that have created this inability to feel whole and valuable. So if I don't feel like I'm valuable, I'm not going to treat my way, myself in a way that I feel valuable. I'm not going to want to move forward. And in some ways, even if I want to do something different, I can't because my brain is stuck saying, you have to do this to survive. You have to shut down. You have to run or you have to fight. So in treatment, it's like, how do we start to create an environment where I'm not in constant fight, flight, or freeze? I don't just have, I'm not just trying to survive. I find out how to create safety for myself, how to process. So when we, when that trauma kicks in and it becomes so overwhelming that our brains shut down, we're not able to fully and accurately process the event that, that is creating the traumatic reaction. So there's a, a this storage of unprocessed feelings, grief, loss, pain, fear, all these unprocessed and, and the unsaid and undone of trauma can be some of the stuff that like in therapy we like unpack, clear up, find some resolution around and start to rebuild a new story or new narrative or belief around myself and in the face of that event. Um, so childhood trauma is oftentimes overlooked, misdiagnosed. It's not common. I mean, I'm fortunate to know several therapists who they see it off the bat, you know. Um, but when I meet with clients, I usually have clients that have been to anywhere from six to 30 therapists and they are all saying they couldn't figure out what was wrong. I still have this pattern. I, I don't know why I'm like this. I think there's just something wrong with me. I've tried every medication and I'm looking at them. And I'm like, you have trauma. You have childhood trauma. There was, there was a less than nurturing environment. You have this core belief that you cycle yourself through. I don't know. I, I see it as clear as day, but Unfortunately, it's not seen. Childhood trauma is not talked about. It's not seen. And and I think that part of that, if I can get into my personal opinions, um, <laughs> this is my personal opinion, is that part of that is because it makes people very uncomfortable. It, for somebody to say, like, well, I never felt really loved as a kid. If, if I'm not comfortable with that, I'm going to go like, oh, no, no, no. It's fine. I'm sure they loved you. Don't worry about it. Just... Just go study, you know, and like people don't want to sit with the discomfort of hearing about somebody else's childhood trauma because we can't feels like we can't do anything about it or can't do something for them. And it just needs to be dismissed. And and it brings up our own discomfort around the possibility that we have something that may have been really uncomfortable for us. And um, and so as a culture, we kind of 
brush it under the rug as much as possible because it's easier to just hope that it'll get better than to sit with how uncomfortable it really is. But that creates more disconnection and more isolation and more shame, um, and it keeps the cycle brewing. Um, I really, I mean, so like connecting and being close, that's the antidote to a lot of the things that cause trauma. I, when I'm not connected, um, I've, I isolate and I, I can't feel whole because I have no one, I have no one challenging my false reality of myself. I need connection and support and love in order to have somebody to challenge the false ideas that I've kind of created about myself and the world based off of my survival mechanisms that I needed in order to survive the trauma that I was experiencing. Right. So why would a kid who's been traumatized reject the help that or the resources that would be available to them? They reject their parents. Reject their the parents. Reject anything. I, I, you got, I want everybody out of my life. I don't want anybody involved with me. Some of that is that fight, flight, or freeze. I'm reacting to my environment in a way that, like, what my brain decided was, here's how I'm going to stay safe. People hurt me. Now I'm going to have no people in my life. If you get close to me, there's a possibility you're going to hurt me. Why would I want to accept help from you? Depending on the type of abuse, if there's sexual abuse, um, which is unfortunately more common than I think we are also comfortable admitting because it's a it's an uncomfortable topic to talk about for people. Uh, if there's sexual abuse and my boundaries have been violated, trauma takes what is supposed to be safe and makes it unsafe, right? It was once safe for somebody to help me. Now, if I say it's safe for you to help me, what happens is my brain goes, they're, boundary, they're violating your boundaries, they're going to take advantage of you, everything's going to go wrong, don't you dare let them help you. If you give up your help to them, you have they're going to have control over you, or they're going to abuse you, they're going to take advantage of you. The brain is misfiring in the way it's telling that, that you're receiving information. So if it was once safe for me to accept like support and love, and then I have trauma, trauma will make that unsafe. If it was once safe to be um, vulnerable and intimate, it will now be unsafe because trauma interprets it as like that is the problem. So it looks like, well, I want to help you. I want to love you. What do you mean? You're in pain. Why wouldn't you want help? It's like because it's too scary. Another reason why this happens, and I don't want to get overwhelm you too much information, but basically the short story where we're going to say it is that when I have a trauma, my brain, it's like a, it's like a scratch on a record. And as the record's playing, it gets to the scratch and it hiccups, right? But if, if there's a scratch on the record, it's going to start skipping, skipping, skipping. If I have trauma, what can happen is my brain will go into that skip and I will try to repeat or reenact the feelings that I had about myself in the world when I had that trauma. And if I can create a problem between me and you and there's contention and there's, there's, there's anger and there's, you know, all this negative emotion going on, my brain actually feels more comfortable because it's trying to, what our brain is trying to do is brilliantly, it's trying to correct the skip in the record. So if I can recreate or, or, or reenact my trauma here in my current moment, then maybe we'll figure out the thing that we needed back then to make this okay. But it never figures it out because it doesn't even know it's doing it, you know? 
So we will, we, my clients who have trauma, they will create these negative relationships in their life to try, and, and it matches the underlying messages of their trauma exactly, but they don't realize they're doing it, and they get the same results, you know, current day that they would have felt in the trauma trying to heal it current day. So it's like, but they're hijacked. Their brains are literally hijacked by the trauma. So they can't complete it or fix it. So how do you undo that? How do you undo that? Right. Well, first part is... What? Yeah, 60 seconds or less. How do you undo trauma? <laughs> A lot of times with intelligence, right? I will say this, addicts, trauma survivors, the most brilliant people I've ever met or worked with. Um, And part of that is, it's a really, I mean, it's a coping tool. It's an adaptation. You know, if if I could just be smart enough to understand it logically, then I will alleviate the pain that's going on inside of me. You know, so if I, I rely on logic, I want to think my way out of it. You know, I want to figure it all out. I'm very, you know, I'm analytical because if I could just figure it out and have the answer, then maybe the pain would go away. The problem is, is that trying to understand or figure out pain doesn't alleviate pain. Feeling pain alleviates pain. But there's it, to feel the type of pain that goes on for somebody who's surviving this type of stuff, there needs to be like a lot of safety and a lot of love and a lot of like nurturing support. Because to the, to the trauma survivor, if I go to that pain, then I might die or I'm, gonna, I'm not going to live. I'm in survival mode. So I will die if I feel what I'm feeling. So if I figure it out, then I won't have to die. So some of this intellectualizing or being very intelligent, my intelligence doesn't save me from my emotions. It, it keeps my emotions kind of trapped. Um, as far as modalities of treatment, I really I, – I, I have a – Big suitcase full of tools, but I don't do this exact same thing with every client because I think that every client might need something a little bit different. Um, so a lot of the general generalities work that I do, I will do a lot of psychoed in the beginning just to give them some empowerment and education so they understand what's happening to their brain, what's happening to their emotions, what's happening to their feelings. I'll also do a lot of work with like identifying the body and feeling connection. So if I'm angry. Well, I don't know. I'm angry. Well, how do you know you're angry? Oh, I don't know. Well, my, my throat gets tight. My chest gets hot. Okay, good. So then you can start to track or be mindful of both the body and the emotion. So making the connection. Um, and then from there, being able to reprocess what has happened in the past. It can either be um, through, I use PIT, which is post-induction therapy, which is a model developed by a woman na- by the name of Pia Melody. Um, which is an act of like being relational with that younger wounded where I'm carrying the wounding from the trauma, becoming relational with that and creating a relationship and with myself in which I take care of the part that was still hurt. And then in my current day, if that reaction comes up, I know how to be a healthy parent in the current moment to myself and not let the reaction hijack my brain into that younger ego state. So I know, and I, I'm able to gain resources, tools, support a lot. I, I encourage all of my clients have really good support networks that they could call and be like, listen, this thing just happened. And I swear to God, I, I it's like I heard the time that um, the door closed behind me during my abuse. And I, I just, I'm totally wigged out. My stomach dropped. Like they're able to 
reach out to somebody else, explain exactly what their body is doing, tell them what they're feeling, and then ask for support, whatever that support is. And they have supportive people in their lives that are able to say, like, yeah, that makes total sense. You're having a total reaction right now. Like, I'm sure you want to act X, Y, and Z way. Like, what do you really need instead? So they're, they're, that process of getting to that level of, like, competency with coping with your trauma is different for every person. I have some people in three months, they're really, really functional with it. I have some people I've worked with for, I mean, five years and are still, still have time at times struggle with it. It just depends because all of us are so individually different. Um, some people I will refer to other modalities. If a therapist is trained in something I don't do, I'll, I'll, we'll work together and get them whatever help they need, you know? So I also do a lot of like psychodrama, sculpting, like scarves role play um i use a lot of drawing coloring different stuff like that so it just depends on what's going to work for the client if i can't verbalize something sometimes drawing it or using colors and stuff like that describing sensations is an easier way to to um express i typically work with um 16 or i will work with 16 and 17 year olds at times depending on the case and depending on the family but i typically work with 18 and up um, I have clients, I mean, most of my clients fall in the range between 18 and about 37, but I also have this like subgroup of clients that are like in their 60s, 60s, <laughs> I, like, these like retired CEOs that like, yeah, well, that I, I originally started practicing in Orlando and that's where, uh, uh, but also in Boca, yeah. And they, they've like hit retirement and all of a sudden all the trauma and all of these, the ways that they've tried to cope are is gone and. Um, what's the connection between childhood trauma and religion? Ooh. Childhood trauma and religion. Sometimes it kind of, it depends on the interaction with religion, but sometimes as a kid, if I'm being taught about religion, I interpret that there might be something, it becomes this isolated, rigid environment. There's only one way that I can be in order to be okay. Now, as adults, we know that like there's a lot of options, there's gray area, there's all this, but as a kid, I take it as black and white. I, it either is good or it's bad, and I am either good or bad if, if because of this is what the religion says. And I don't have the creative thinking, the expanded thinking yet to consider myself in any other way other than good or bad based off of what I'm hearing about religion. In addition, in addition to children taking that as a rigid environment, there's also there's a lot to, that's done in religion to protect the religious community. So sometimes that feeling secretive or feeling like I can't tell people that something bad happened to me that was connected with anything religious because then I'm going to be um, like harming my religion. I don't want to harm the thing that I value so much. So even for the kid who might not take it as rigid, um, they're not going to want to betray the religion in any way, shape, or form, which would include talking about something negative that happened with another religious person in the community. So um, we were talking, Avi and I were talking about this, like why it, do you, do I think that more sexual abuse happens in the Orthodox community than any other community? And I said, no. I don't think it's more so than any other community. I think in in isolated or small communities where there's a there's a need to protect each other almost feeling and there is a rigidity around it there's going to be more sexual abuse because predators unfortunately know that nobody's going to talk about what they're doing 
uh, there's there's more room to get not 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 intentionally get away with to continue the cycle and the kids aren't going to want to speak up about it and with the rigidity it creates this this very pressured environment around some of the abuse also religion it can sometimes be used as a tool for teaching and a kid hears if uh, like instead of hearing it as teaching they hear it as this religion thinks this about me and I'm not that, so I must not be okay because this is the only one way. Um, and that would be traumatic. It could be traumatic. So, and here's one thing I didn't say earlier with trauma. I said the whole anything less than nurturing piece. It's also that the way I intend for my child to receive what I'm giving them is not always the way that they are impacted, right? And and so with trauma, it's not about. I know that if if somebody was trying to give me guidance that their impact would be for my best interest. But if I have a child brain with child eyes and my sense of self is only dependent on my interaction with my parent, when they may give me a piece of or a nugget of information or a guidance and I interpret it differently than they, they mean to impact me with it. And it's about the interpretation and not the intent. Sexual trauma creates early activation it makes them yes. become sexual beings. So when the whole religious world is based on controlling yourself and not doing bad things, and you're young, and you're doing all that bad stuff, and you're thinking all that bad stuff, and you're attracted to same same gender and, and any age, and you're already brought into that world, you feel like a freak. You mm-hmm. feel really uncomfortable you feel evil, you feel bad, you feel like a sinner, and then eventually you say, like, I can't live like this anymore, and, and it can't be that this is real, right? I can't, I can't live like that. So I think that's also one of the things that's happening. Because childhood sexual trauma turns the, the victim into, sometimes, into a sexual being, because they enjoy it, or they're, they're, like we, we've trained about this. They're yeah, they, they become on. hypersexualized. On the thing, right? mm-hmm. So then they're doing things that only adults are supposed to do when they're young, they're 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, all the time, and they say, like, I'm a freak, because everyone else seems to be just fine being a good boy, and I'm doing this thing that you're not supposed to do all the time, and I have a one-track mind in a very unhealthy way. Also, a lot of them are attracted to children. Mm -hmm. A lot of the boys think that they're homosexual, Mm because they have no boundaries, because they were Mm -hmm. molested as a child by a man. So they know that the religion is against that. And they know that, you know, in our world it doesn't exist. They don't want to put themselves. So that also, I think, has, has that effect. Yeah, and also. then they're not going to want to seek help because there is so much shame around that. I mean, and the behavior is not okay, but them as people seeking help for it, there's no shame in that. In Home Sweet Home, when I had the boys from the street, we gave them a lot of love, and it always worked. There was one kid that no matter how much love we gave him, it, he didn't accept it. And the reason was because he thought he was gay. And in his mind, he kept on thinking... Very nice, very nice. If you would know mm-hmm. what's in my mind, all this is going to boom, boom, boom. Mm-hmm. So this is all what you think I am. I am undeserving of all of this love. Mm-hmm. And one day, after a long time, he opened up to one of the mentors, and he said it. And the mentor gave him a hug and said, I feel the same way about you. And then it was like, whoa. Then he was able to start receiving the love and realizing it's not a, it's not a wrong address, that really you guys would love me even though that's how I feel. Right? This is how I am. He wasn't how he was. He's 
now married, but to a, a woman um, who was born a woman. Well, everyone's good. We're all good. Okay? So at that time, he was confused from it, and we showed him that we accept you anyway. And then he accepted the love. So there's a lot of that shame, like you're saying. They don't want to say it. They don't want to believe it. And they don't want to own it because they're thinking, it means I lost the, 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 everybody wants to be respected. I'm going to lose the respect of everybody I ever met in my life. And if God, if God can't love me, nobody could love me. And there's two ways. I either, I, I will either move against it or I'll become ingrained with it because it's almost like if I can, if I become part of it or I choose it, whether it's religion or attraction or all this. So like that's where there'll be this pattern of, and it's not just in Jewish community, it's another, it, yeah. And so the the boy who was abused by, I'll use a different religion just for the sake of, of making a point, is the pastor who, um, who was abused as a boy and abuses other boys. Like I become, I cling to the religion as a way to try and right the wrong that was done to me, but I'm unhealed and I end up doing the wrong back to others. And um, it's, yeah, and, and not so much boom, it becomes big T trauma, but it impacts the same way a big T trauma would impact. So, yes, your bucket gets full. So a big T fills your bucket immediately, little T's fill your bucket over time, and they have the same symptoms as a big T. But it looks more confusing because it's just like trauma to the brain is basically it's stress. I'm, I, I, hit, I get stressed about a situation. The stress becomes so overwhelming that my brain gets flooded. Um, and if I have stress and I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed, I'm stressed. I mean, we, there's research about what stress does to the body and to the brain and all this stuff. And if we look at the research of what long-term impact of stress does to the body and the brain and immune system, it's, it's some of the same impacts that trauma has on the body of brain and immune system. So little T's are these are these stressful, unprocessed and I'm, I'll make this point really quick too. Some people are more resilient than others just by nature. It's not there's one per, two people can go through the same event and have a very different perception of the same event and be very impacted by it very differently, you know. So there's a difference I think between there's you have a theory. Uh, there's a difference between, like, I might feel safe there, but do I feel nurtured? Like, do I might feel, if I actually feel safe and I'm coming and I'm saying, like, I'm so ashamed, all this stuff is going on and all this, you know, like, yeah, that would help. But um, nurturing is about, there. I'm nurtured in a way that I can even identify that these small T's are occurring, occurring, occurring. I might not even be aware of the level of trauma that I'm experiencing from these little T's because in my nurturing, I've kind of, I haven't had that. It's like, I, I only know that it's happening to me because somebody taught that that's something that happens to me. I wasn't nurtured into knowing how to identify the little T traumas, you know? Um, and in the family, it's a, a lot of times, even if it's safe, I might not be taught that like, Hey, there are going to be times where things become so overwhelming for you that you're not going to be know, able to know how to handle it. Um, and you can come to me when you don't know how to handle things and, and it'll be okay. I think also that there's a lot of times that we don't really... So when someone comes to you, they can tell you what their traumas were. Right. Even so, they themselves may be blocking stuff out. Right. But with our kids, we're going by what they say, but sometimes we look at the symptoms, and it's not adding up. Right. They're cutting themselves, they're suicidal, and they have a lot of symptoms that it's not just a bunch of little teas, there's something that they don't tell us. Yep. How prevalent is sexual abuse in the film community from the people who end up on substance abuse... 
cutting, anorexia, all yeah. of these type of problems. I mean, person, from my experience, and I'm just speaking from my experience alone, every single one of my from clients that have that come to me with a different symptom, it ends up being sexual abuse or molestation. Childhood. Childhood, molestation, yeah. sexual abuse. They don't deny it. They tell it to you? Um, we end up, it ends up coming out in the process, yeah. And it's, they will end up, they either come to me immediately with it, or as we, as I start to talk to them about their history, they start, they start describing, well, there was this one time that I feel kind of weird about. You know, they don't say I was molested. So there was this one time that was kind of weird, and I've always kind of wondered about this, and what do you think? And they start to tell me. How many therapists did they go to before you that they did not share it with? I mean, none of them. They don't share. They don't share. So there's something special about you that they're sharing with you. No, I'm being honest. Because they're sharing something with you that they've been through, like you say, six to 30 therapists throughout their life. And they're sitting there and they're like, hmm. And they're not saying it. They usually withhold till adulthood. So it is easier for you. But my point is, all the parents who come here say, you would have told the therapist, you would have told the mentor, you would have told, you would have told, you would have told. They don't tell. They don't tell. Why don't they tell? Fear, shame. Uh, or uh, fear, shame. Shame's the biggest one that I see. Um, and then, like, just the lack of fear feeling. Of feel, fear of not being believed. Fear that they aren't right about their reality. Fear that um, it was their fault. They were the ones who caused it anyway. Fear that if somebody knows this, then everybody's going to know about it. And what will the community think and all that? It's, I mean... The fears we could go on and on about, then not some rational and some irrational. Um, they also won't talk sometimes just because of not knowing that it was traumatic and and knowing the how to ask the right questions is a big key because I'm not always going to just volunteer my most painful experience and especially if I don't know how to identify that it was a violation. I might not even see how my boundaries were violated, you know, by somebody because I. I didn't have. I don't have the awareness of it. I didn't understand what was happening. I just know that it left me feeling this way, and I'm acting out. But I can't say why I'm acting out because I don't know that something went went wrong for me. Do so. they connect the childhood trauma to their troubles in their life, the ADD, the ADHD, why they started misbehaving, the ODD, and all their symptoms? Once we once we get into it, and I, if I can start when we I do a trauma map exercise with clients and I'll also do one where I'll have them layer their I'll have them do okay make me a map or a list a timeline of your using make me a timeline of your behavioral issues make me a timeline of your romantic relationships make me a timeline of your sexual acting out make me a time everything that we're working on make me a whole timeline of it and then we lay them all on top of each other and we see where is the matching where's the matching points and before they came to you they did not connect the dots no because I find that also, uh, kids would tell me years later, you think that the reason why I ended up having ADD and ADHD and getting thrown out of yeshiva and ending up on drugs was because three years before that, because they, themselves they don't realize what's yeah. happening to their brain. They don't. It's so sad. When I teach them about trauma and that it looks like ADD and these different types of things, they go, huh. <laughs> like, I just, that explains it. And, and, shut down most of the year. Some kids act in, some kids act out. And then some kids dissociate using different tools, and usually dissociation is very creative. I won't even notice somebody is dissociated until somebody teach me, teaches me about their dissociation, you know. And checked out um, can sometimes I can look present and still be dissociated if I've had severe trauma because I've I've adapted. I've figured out how to keep myself safe in my environment. 
So if I need to look present but not be here, I might use fantasy, and that's where some of the to be to get into some of the stuff that I do with sex addiction. That's a very common thing that happens for trauma survivors is that they start to use fantasy to escape, and the the fantasy that gives them the biggest numb or avoidance of their feelings would be fantasizing about sex. So then we have some, and if they've been sexually abused, then as they're fantasizing about sex, they're feeling the same shame, pain, and anger about the abuse as they are now. They're feeling that with themselves. They start to reabuse themselves through the coping mechanism that they're trying to use to numb the trauma. So then their behaviors look insane because what's going on inside of them is this complex pain system. Yeah. Same thing with drugs. It is. It's they're, exact they're numbing thing themselves with drugs. with drugs and they feel like garbage. I'm a drug addict. I can't believe I'm doing cocaine. I said I'd never do cocaine. I can't believe this is me. I can't believe yep. this is me. The deep shame yep. is what really can So it's for it's identifying building rapport, identifying, becoming aware, building mindfulness. Um, starting to like have a place for healthy catharsis or healthy feelings, um, being allowed, uh, encouraged to have the, their emotional responses to situations rather than choosing a different emotional response in order to adapt to a situation, being authentic and building like compassion um, and love for themselves rather than this fueling this like self-hate and shame. How can I be understanding of, of the, the person I was that this stuff happened? Um, and when I start to build empathy or compassion or self-love for myself, I'm going to treat myself in a way that I don't re-traumatize. Hey, yeah, one question about yeah. the relational trauma. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to have relational trauma even if you had good parents? Yes. 100%. Even with good parents. <laughs> yeah, no, really, I, I, my kid having relational trauma or family of origin trauma means nothing about me being, me as a parent. It truly doesn't. That, because there, of the parents that I work with, I've not yet met one. I, I've met a parent that meant to harm their kids or, or that were bad parents. It's not. There's there's parenting tools that were used that weren't helpful, but that doesn't make you a bad parent. And it could have worked for the other kids, but not for this kid. Yes, because every kid is so different, which is which is a difficult thing. Or they're going to be impacted differently. Or, or the other kids were healthy, and then something else happened to this kid. Yes. And then your type of parenting, which you know whatever, could have made him feel mm-hmm. traumatized yeah. because he couldn't tell you why he's not behaving. Right. You know, when kids are behaving, so you have different parenting styles, everybody likes to look good, but it's really pretty easy. They're behaving. So you're a little rough, you're a little tough, you're a little nice. <laughs> they're, they're good kids. The kid who's stabbed and he's dying inside doesn't even know why and not telling anybody. That's when it's really, really rough. And if you're tough or rough on them, then it becomes traumatic. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about not illegal stuff, not beating up the kids and not locking them up. Just general, like, why didn't you do this? How can we do Which is normal to normal. some parents. And they can't tell you why. Mm-hmm. And they're years and years of feeling like everybody looks down at me. Right. That's pretty painful. So what I try to do over here with TP is reverse everything. Give tremendous unconditional, it's not just love, it's support. I believe in you. Mm-hmm. You are good. Exactly. And we do things that goes against the therapy world. For right. example, 
in the therapy world, if you know, they, they believe in everything that they like all of our goals. They believe that, that everybody, every therapist that meets these parents to say, "Oh my God, I wish all my clients had parents like that." Stop re-traumatizing the kid in between therapy sessions, yes. so we can do stuff. Yes. We can get somewhere. Please. Okay, and then all of a sudden, the kid goes ahead and is doing drugs, and the, ther- and the therapist says, "Oh, you can't give money to the kid because that's a belief." And they lose that whole relationship because the kids don't say, oh, I understand. You can't give money to me. They feel unloved, misunderstood. The whole thing happens. The kid doesn't come home on time. Oh, you got to tell the kid. We're going to lock the door. They drop the ball to achieve their own goal that they like. I know that they like this goal because whenever we have parents that end up in rehabs or in trauma centers, they're saying, like, I wish all the parents were like this. And I'm like, yeah, but you wouldn't have agreed what we did. Right. To get there. Right. Because we supplied and we said there are no rules for you. We are going to buy you what you, we're going to support you. We're going to let you smoke in the house. We're going to buy you cigarettes. We don't have to buy drugs because you just don't need to, but we'll buy you a bong. Mm-hmm. Say have a great time in the room. And then a year later, everybody likes the result, but they never give that advice. Right. So I'm, I'm razor sharp focused that the kids should feel my parents love me and my parents only can love me if they accept me if they believe in me, and if they support me. And if right now what they're doing <coughs> is bad, against our religion, if we have to support them anyway, as long as the rabbis let, which which they do, in order that they should feel that love, okay, otherwise they just don't feel loved. See, what happens is, this is my, my uh, experience, parents say, I don't know why he feels I don't love him. I love him so much I would die for him. I just told him that da-da-da-da-da. Kids don't feel that. Kids feel that if you don't understand me, you don't support me, you're not buying the clothes that I wear. You don't love me. Mm-hmm. And the parents are stuck on it. But I do love you. It doesn't matter. How many people are going to cry at my funeral means nothing to me. I want you to love me now. And in their mind, that means be happy to see me. Be happy that I'm a good person. I'm in your house. Even though I didn't turn out the way you wanted. Mm-hmm. And what helps us is that we know that they're really hurting. The pain is not something that people understood. Mm-hmm. So you see it clear. You see you see pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. This is Avi Fishoff, and I can be reached at twistedparenting at AOL.com.